All right, let's, uh, let's open up in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the one who has eyes of fire that pierce into our hearts. And that makes us fearful because we know there's a lot of gook down there that is very ugly and shameful. And yet, you are also the one who places your hand on our shoulder and speaks tender words to us to fear not. And I pray, Father, that as we study your word, that we would approach you humbly uh, with a open heart and open mind, and that you would speak to us through your word, and that you would comfort us by it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, last week, I spent a a lot of time at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13 talking about the most excellent way. And the most excellent way is the way of love. Now, it's not your hallmark card love. It is specifically love in the face of evil done to you. And uh, that kind of love can only come from God. It cannot originate in your own heart. So if you hear someone, and I hear this a lot of times as a pastor, I can't do that. And I say, okay, you're, 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 you're right. <laughs> there, you cannot love in the way God loves, except God give you grace to do it. So, um, we're in uh, verse, verses 8 through 13, so we're going to start with just reading the text today. And, uh, oh, let's see, let's have, um, I'll make you take this all the way over to the other side. Um, Let's have, does Junior or Sherry want to read? Don't have to. If, if, you, if you want to, you can. I, don't, I don't try to make people embarrassed. I just want to include everybody as much as I can. So 8 through 13, that'd be great. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three ma- uh, excuse me, and now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you, Junior. Appreciate that. So uh, the first statement, love never fails, love never ends. Uh, the idea is that love continues forever, even into eternity. So even even though we won't continue to have faults, or failures confronting us in glory, this concept of love will just continue on. It never ends. 
it, one way to put it is it survives everything else. Have a nuclear holocaust and it wipes out everything and the only thing that's left would be love. Uh, huh? And roaches, there you go. <laughs> love continues when nothing else does. Uh, love outlives hate. Love outlives anything that threatens it. That's the point of this. Why? Because God is love. That's the point. Now, gifts have an end. Okay? Um, Now, what that should tell you right off the bat, love is an expression of the character of God. A gift is not an expression of the character of God. If it, if it were, then it would last forever as well. Um, so, only as you experience love will this love of Christ uh, live in you. You cannot produce it on your own. You are not the factory of this sort of love. Only God is. Application I would have, the point of the gospel is to make you full of love. The point of the gospel is, to not, is not to go around exercising gifts. To see the difference here. Paul is contrasting gifts with love. Love's ended never ending. Gifts will end. Love will not end. That's the point. Uh, verses uh, really all through this next section prophecies they will cease tongues they will cease knowledge this is, he's talking about words of knowledge not like we all become idiots when we get to glory but this word of knowledge that you get it'll, it'll pass away okay so this, at, this leads to the question, when does Paul anticipate the gifts coming to an end? You have to say that they will come to an end, but what is the point at which they come to an end? And I, I've got a couple options, um, but I'd love to hear what you guys, just, you don't have to defend, just when do you think they might come to an end? Okay, so so the the text tells us when the perfect comes, and so um, you immediately went to Christ, which is a good idea because he's perfect, and then it would be the the second coming of Christ. Okay, all right, that's one option. All right, so another option, the perfect instead of Christ, it is. Uh, the Bible in its completion, the canon of Scripture. So, so like the perfect comes could be um, option three, uh, the Christian, uh, Christian's death. Right? Okay. Any other options? I, mean, I, don't, this about, I had two options, so you guys have come up with three, done better than me. 
So apostolic age. And that's, uh, we don't really have in Scripture when the last apostle died, but some kind of nebulous time when the apostles die out. Okay? Good. So, so you. Yeah, so that so you're falling in there. So like the Christian's death, that's when love's perfected in you. Um, when Jesus comes again, that's when he's perfected in the church. Okay, so yeah, all these are these are good options. But Paul doesn't say what the perfect is, does he? Um. Uh, it it. It actually makes a lot of sense that he could be speaking of the return of Christ. Uh, obviously, when we see Jesus face to face, we will be made perfect, and we will know him as he knows us. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there are some difficulties with this. Not. And so I, I actually like this idea of Christ, that option number one. I think it has a lot of merits. Uh, but there are some problems with it. When Paul says that faith, hope, and love abide, right? It's difficult for me to understand how faith abides in glory. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 says, For we walk by faith now, not by sight. When we get to glory, we'll be walking by sight. So it does seem like if, it, if he's speaking of this return of Christ, this mechanism of faith whereby we, we uh, trust in things we can't see, that will be ended at that time. But he, you know, so this idea of abiding uh, of faith and hope, all of your hopes will be realized in glory. You won't be living by hope anymore, uh, hope in the return of Christ. So um, maybe they, they, they endure in some way that we don't really understand in glory, uh, but it's not really clear how faith and hope abide if we're thinking of the second return of Christ. Um, also, uh, would Paul be making such a big deal about the miraculous gifts ending at the return of Christ? You know, they're going to end at the return of Christ. Of course they're going to end at the return of Christ. Like, it's like, why would you need these at the return of Christ? Um, so I think that this, even though that there's, this has a lot of good options, I think in its purity, all by itself, it has some problems that, that uh, at least opens the door for this perfect coming before, at some point before the return of Christ. Let's think about the canon um, option. This was the option of all the reformers, or at least most of the reformers. They saw it as the completion of the Bible. Um, this is a good view. Um, but it's also difficult to defend in its purity. 
uh, and I would say because of this, um, Paul could have just easily have said, when the last revelation comes, <laughs> when the Bible is completed, <laughs> uh, these will fall away. <laughs> and wouldn't that have been nice and clear if he had just said that? Um, so at least he is uh, unclear. And Paul doesn't, when he talks about the perfect, even in this passage, he doesn't express it merely as the objective word of God. Right? He doesn't just say uh, uh, when the perfect objectively comes. He uses terms that are our experience. We know fully. So I would argue that even though I do believe in the, in the ending, the closing of the canon, that it's complete objectively, Paul's speaking in this passage not just about having the Bible, but by having it in your heart, knowing it perfectly. So it seems to be more, he's, this perfect age seems to be more than just the objective word of God. And it is true that it almost pushes us to this return of Christ kind of idea as well. Because it's, that's when we will really know God perfectly. Question? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that's, that, I would still take that back to the, this option here, but yes, the, so, um, and if we really knew, as God knows us, we wouldn't be having this discussion, <laughs> we would all know, <laughs> you, we wouldn't be going, oh, what's Paul saying here, um, so in my opinion, and, and you may laugh at this, because this is, I kind of say, Paul's, in a sense, being somewhat ambiguous. He, he's allowing for some time before the close of this to apply to when the perfect comes, but I think he's also pointing them to the return of Christ. I think it's probably a, a, a both and. Um, it, I would argue that it is the objective completion of, of the Bible that makes our grasp of the Bible even possible. If we were continuing to have new revelations, then you would be going, I don't, there's no way I can reach the perfect time because you're constantly needing new revelations. But if the Bible is closed, then you can set your hearts on knowing what the scriptures that God has given us in completion so that we would know the truth perfectly. And that's really what our goal is here in this life as members of the church, to, to know the truth. You might think it's, how can that ever be? But, but that's our goal as the church, to try to know God fully through His Word. Um, go ahead. Well, I think that uh, I think that Peter makes very clear that the writings of Paul are Scripture. He even says some of them are really hard to understand, uh, but he he calls them Scripture. So that I think the apostles looked at each other's writings as Scripture, uh, how they understood if the, when they would all be codified in one book. I don't know. 
they clearly, the church clearly saw that the letter written to Ephesians wasn't just for the Ephesians, but it was for the whole church, um, those kind of things. So I think they probably had um, some anticipation of the pulling together of these different letters into the New Testament. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, well, that's what the practice of the Old Testament was. The, the church had codified and pulled together the books of the Old Testament in the same way. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's pretty early. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, it's very clear that, that Paul wants to emphasize the fruit of the Spirit, love, more so than gifts. There are clearly people who are exercising gifts in the Corinthian church. So uh, I think there's an anticipation that there is a possibility for these gifts to end in this life the world in which we, in history. I don't think I would use 1 Corinthians 13 as the proof text that we know exactly when they stopped. I just think it, it opens the door to say, mm, there, it, don't be surprised if these gifts stop. Um, so, without making too, uh, do I believe the canons ended? Looking back on it, yes. Um, but I think 1 Corinthians 13 is not my full argument for why I believe in the cessation of gifts, but I do think it opens the door for that. Yes, Danny. Uh, I agree with you that this passage is definitely not like the, the standard for either cessation or continuation. Right. At, at least Paul is saying here, don't make your Christianity all about these gifts. Mm -hmm. Because even, uh, to me, the text seems to be pointing more towards the second coming. But I think his point is that, like what you're saying, these gifts aren't of the eternal essence of God. Therefore, don't make so much of them because one day they won't exist. Right. Yep. And I think it's just open that they could cease before the return of Christ. So... Other questions on that before we go into chapter 14? <clears throat> well, let's, let's go into uh, prophecy in tongues, and then I think it will, when you understand my interpretation of chapter 14, um, it'll be easier, it's not like it's just mine, it's not like the, I'm the only one that has this, but I think you'll 
it'll be easier to explain what we do with other people's experience of prophecy today. Um, and the short answer is, I do, not, I do not think that the prophecy that exists today is the same prophecy that existed in Scripture. Um, and so if you're using Scripture to regulate your prophecy, then, um, then you got a problem because this is something new that God's doing that wasn't present in Scripture. And, um, and therefore, I just at the same time, I just kind of punt and say to the person who claims to be a prophet, you tell me, are you, are you trying? Most people who are prophets try to say, I'm getting back to what was in the Bible. I'm back to the New Testament. I'm doing what was there. And I say, well, I don't think what you're describing to me is what was going on in the New Testament. Um, so anyway, you, you'll see this also with tongues. I, but I don't, I don't go so far as to actually presume to know what is actually happening in someone's heart. So I, I'm not the reader of people's hearts or what God's doing in them. So, okay, um, we're finally at chapter 14. Many of you probably wanted me to get here uh, four weeks ago, but that's all right. Um, the gifts, the gifts serve the building up of love in the church. Uh, verse 1, pursue love. Right, that's, I mean, it's clear, that's his point. You are to seek to be loving as Christ loved. That is an enduring command that will last forever. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The reason why you are to earnestly desire these gifts is because God gave them as vehicles to express love. That's the purpose of them. They don't have an end in themselves. They are there to do something else, help you to pursue love. Um, If the gifts are continuing, then we are duty-bound to seek them. Right? I mean, that's what the text says, right? Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So if they are being given today, you are duty-bound to seek them. And then even, he says, especially that you may prophesy. You may want to guess why prophecy in Paul's mind sticks out even further than the other gifts. Just your own guess on this. Okay, so the prophecy... Speaking God's word. And the word of God builds you up. Uh, where do we get that? First uh, Tim or Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is useful 
right? Um, what's the, the quote here? I got it written down. Um, All Scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So, so like the, the idea of prophecy being a more important gift than some of the other gifts is because we have a priority of the Word of God, which is, again, prophecy equals the Word. It's not some lesser word. Okay, that's going to be a, a big argument in here, that prophecy is the actual Word of God. Uh, somebody want to read 2 through 4 for me? Raise your hand, we'll get you the mic. There you go, Christian's going to read it. Thank you. <laughs> for anyone who speaks in tongues does not speak to the people to people but to God indeed no one understands them they utter mysteries by the spirit <coughs> but the one who prophesies speaks to the, to people for their strengthening encouraging and comfort anyone who speaks in tongues edifies themselves but the one who prophesies edifies the church. <clears throat> okay. So he contrasts prophecy with tongues here. Right? Do you see that? He, he's talking about especially seek prophecy, and then he immediately goes into the one who speaks in a tongue. Right? So he's making a contrast. Um, I would... Uh, uh, state here that when he speaks of a tongue he is assuming that when a person speaks in a tongue that nobody understands that tongue is that fair enough uh-huh okay um uh we're, we're gonna get to this so uh so yeah so there's this tongue and the reason why prophecy is better than tongues is that prophecy is something that people understand. If people could understand the tongue, we'll just leave that as a dot, 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 because he's going to talk about that in a little bit. But if you just have a tongue, somebody speaking, like if I got up here and started speaking in uh, Swahili, nobody here understands Swahili, right? I could be saying that I'm getting this from God, but you don't understand what I'm saying. So therefore, it's not benefiting you. So it's much better to have the gift of prophecy because I'm speaking in the tongue that you can understand. Um, this passage does raise the question that Laurie just raised. Does the person who speaks in tongue speak to God? Or does the person receive truth from God and then communicate it to other people? That's a, that's a question that we have to ask here. Uh, Paul says of uttering mysteries. Um, and I think there's a, there's a kind of a little, uh, if you're into the grammar, uh, he utters mysteries in the Spirit, meaning Holy Spirit, or it could be 
utters mysteries in his spirit, meaning small spirit, um, your own heart kind of thing. Um, and you obviously have different interpretations as you look at that. Well, that's, that's all just, an, that's just, that's your translator telling you what they think. <laughs> so, um, remember, the Greek doesn't have capital letters, or they do unseals, they're all capital letters. They don't really have this, uh, you know, we just look at it in the context and, and put it into our language that way. So, and there probably is some translation, I don't know which one, but there probably is a translation out there that says, in his spirit. Anybody have that? Huh? There you go. King James has lowercase. So does the NIV. You have the ESV, right? Well, the ESV is the right one, so. <laughs> um, now, there is also a question of what does he mean by mysteries? A lot of times we think of mysteries as um, kind of like something that's profoundly difficult to understand. And that could be. But mysteries in the Bible can also be something that was uh, hidden in past, but now revealed. So, um, it, you know, the, the, uh, who speaks mysteries could be like mysteries that nobody understands of the unknown of what the, the hidden world of heaven is like or something like that. Or it could just be speaking the mysteries of the gospel, right? Because you're, you're receiving the word of God and it's to be a blessing to the church and so you're, you're getting the truth of Christ unveiled to people. So that, that could be that kind of mystery. Uh, a couple examples in 1 Corinthians just to kind of help you get a flavor for this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.1, you don't have to turn there. This is how one should regard us as apostles, the servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Right? 1 Corinthians 13, 2, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith. So there again, it seems to be the mysteries of the gospel being revealed, if I understand that correctly. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 51, I will tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So it's just, it's not really something really, really mysterious. It's just, it's just that um, Paul's explaining that when Jesus returns, some people will be raised up from the dead, but some of us will be alive, will just be changed in a heartbeat. And so that's a mystery. Uh, Ephesians 3, also written by Paul, the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written it briefly. So in that situation, he's literally saying the book of Ephesians is him writing the mystery. It doesn't have to be this like hidden, you know, what we call mysterious, nobody knows it kind of thing, like talking about ghosts or something like that. Um, so Paul can use mystery in this way. And I think it's probably best to think of one speaking in tongues as speaking truths of salvation that have been revealed by the Holy Spirit. So I do side with the um, ESV that it should be uh, in the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, please. He's, he's you're getting it to him. There you go. 
For one who speaks in a tongue seeks not for men but for God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So maybe that being that because he's speaking in, in a tongue that no one understands, he's it, Paul is saying you're speaking for God, but no one else understands you. So you're speaking for God, and then the mysteries um, that you're describing in the different passages that you were saying, mysteries would be well not to God because God, you know, you, there's no mystery to God; He knows everything, right? Mm -hmm. so it would be a mystery to the people who couldn't understand the tongue, but maybe the mysteries being, like you said, a revelation of. Uh, the Gentiles being included in the, mm -hmm. the redemptive plan and resurrection and all that. Mm -hmm. um, I was just thinking about. I think that's very helpful. Um, also, I don't think the question of whether it's a prayer or whether it's receiving of knowledge is needs to be uh, parsed out, and you got to come hard down on one side or the other because are not the prayers of David God's revealed truth to us? Right. So it doesn't have to. It's not like, oh, if, if this is a prayer, it's just coming from you and it's your spirit just saying things. No, I think that even our prayers, if they are, you know, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit uh, giving us the gift of tongues, they are revelation. Um, uh, it must be assumed at this place in, in uh, Paul's argument that he is talking about uninterpreted uninterpreted tongues. Later in the chapter, he's going to talk about the interpretation of tongues. But here, he's just talking about uninterpreted tongues. Again, that's, that's going to be my conclusion, um, but we haven't got there yet, but that is, it's going to be my conclusion. Um, so, um, the, the big difference between uninterpreted tongues and prophecy is that the one is understood by the church and the other is not. Yes, Mark. Yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Uh, it could be like one puffs himself up, but I, he does use the word build, so it does seem to be that it is uh, edifying to himself, but not to others. So I, I think if he were speaking of like puffs himself up, Paul does use that word puffs up and and probably would have said that but he uses builds up which i would argue is that he does think that tongues even uninterpreted tongues is useful to the person speaking the tongues and actually uh works to build that individual up it's just not a blessing to the rest of the congregation yeah i'm really trying to not throw all the conclusions out so if, if, I'm, if I'm giving you just partial truths and you want more, it's very purposeful. So go ahead. Um, just a thought again. Um, well, if not all speak in tongues, as Paul makes very clear, then we have a situation where we have some who are speaking in 
tongues that are able to, whether, you know, whatever you want to define that as, languages are, are some sort of, they, yeah, unearthed languages, that whatever. Um, you would have some that were able to build themselves up and some that weren't. Just if not everybody has a gift of tongues. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. That's that that probably, I would think that, that the Lord mm -hmm. would not allow that to happen if, he, if all are equal, equal in their, in his eyes. Yeah, yeah. Why would why would he just f focus on one individual to build them up and not others? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. Okay, um, one question that you will have to deal with, and this is, I just want you to be pondering this. Um, in the charismatic movement today, it is not necessary for the person speaking in tongues to understand what they are saying. In essence, God's building them up bypasses the, the mind. Um, that he's able to just speak directly to the Spirit and encourage them and build them up apart from any understanding. In other words, the, the person speaking in tongues would say something like, I don't know what I was saying. You know, the Spirit was just moving me and there's some kind of blessing apart from understanding now you can see you can see where i'm going to start having some problems with this because really the only difference between prophecy and tongues when it comes to the church is that prophecy is understood by the church tongues is not understood so if you cannot be blessed by someone else speaking in tongues unless it's interpreted, is it not strange that the person actually speaking the tongue can be blessed with having no understanding of what they're saying? You see that? See how, see how awkward that is? Paul's saying, oh yeah, for the congregation, you got to understand this. I mean, why not just have one person get up in gibberish and you all just feel great? No, he says, no, 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 you cannot be building, built up unless you understand what is being said. So I would then argue that if the, if the individual doing the tongue can be built up, th then the individual doing the tongue does, in fact, understand what he's saying. Even if he's saying it in a language that he doesn't understand. Oh, you're moving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're all reading it. We're going to actually bring the microphone up here. We'll let Benji read 5 through 12. What would you say, 13? Oh, we're stopping right before you. You read 5 through 12. Get us up there. Oh, you want to do 5 through 12. 5 through 12. Now, I want you all, I want you all to speak in tongues but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do <coughs> not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, 
who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. All right, back in verse 5. Just make it clear, why are tongues, why is prophecy superior to tongues? It has the capacity to build up the entire church, okay? Tongues, on the other hand, only has the capacity to do that if someone interprets. Now, I'm going to pause a little bit in the text and just get you guys to theorize a little bit here. When does God give the gift of interpretation? Nope. <laughs> is, there any, is there any mention in the book of Acts at Pentecost that God gives the gift of interpretation of tongues? Right. So here's the, here's the situation. This is Jerusalem. Um, we're assuming that everybody in Jerusalem speaks Aramaic or Hebrew. That's their languages. That'd be the language of the, the priests. That'd be the language of the Sanhedrin. G the language Jesus spoke when he lived on this earth. All those kind of things. Well, during the, during the Passover, Passover, you would have people coming on pilgrimage from all over the world. Right? So they come, and they are Jews, because they wouldn't be on pilgrimage if they weren't Jews. But they have been growing up in another culture, and so they speak a different language. At least their first language is a different language. Okay? So, you know, language A, language B, language C, language D. Okay? They come here into uh, the temple, and they are worshiping God, and the Spirit is poured out at Pentecost. Tongues of fire. People are speaking in tongues. Uh, and those who speak in tongues are immediately heard by these people from all over the world in their own language, in their own dialect. Okay? No need for interpretation because, because you're getting it in your language. Okay? That's the gift of tongues. Now, there are people in Jerusalem who do not hear the word of God. Who is that? Who are they? The leaders. The Sanhedrin. What do they think the apostles are doing? They're drunk. 
speaking gibberish. All right, so think about this. Um, I think Mark alluded to this, that tongues is a sign of judgment upon a people. I probably have this later in my in my uh, in my text here, so I'm, I'm I'm moving out of order here. Um, well, yes, but um, well, no. It's so during the time prior to the exile, Isaiah is prophesying. And he tells prophet after prophet after prophet has been sent to God's people. And I think it's either, it might be Isaiah and Jeremiah, but they both predict that God will send prophets from a foreign nation into Israel. And the reason why God does that is because his people refuse to listen to his prophets over and over and over again. And as a sign of his anger of his own people for not listening to his prophets, he actually sends them prophets whom they cannot understand. Read that. Huh? I go, oh, give it to Mark. He can read them for us. Behold, I am bringing against you a nation from afar, a house of Israel, declared the Lord. It is an, an enduring nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. That's Jeremiah. Yeah, that's the Jeremiah, where he's basically saying, bringing a foreign nation in of what you can't understand is bad. And then the, the Isaiah one. <clears throat> or by people with strange lips. And with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people. Did you hear that? He is speaking to his own people in a foreign tongue. Basically saying, I don't want to talk to you anymore. To actually hear a prophet speak to you in a tongue that you couldn't understand would be a sign of judgment. So at the same time, Pentecost is a sign that God is taking, he's reversing Babel, he's taking the gospel to the nations. At the same time, he is pulling away the gospel from his own people. Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He said things like, uh, every blasphemy against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So they are rejecting God's testimony, His outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the people in Jerusalem, the leaders, are calling it gibberish. They're drunk. They are blaspheming the work of the Holy Spirit in their midst. So, um, now this is the important thing. No interpretation of tongues is needed. But let's say you are this person here, and when you believe the gospel, not only was the Spirit poured out on those first apostles, and they preached, but now that you have received the gospel, you too have the Spirit poured out on you. And so you speak in tongues. So this guy who, sp- who speaks language B, 
He now is given this tongue. He's, let's say, he's speaking now language A. If he did it while he was here, people from A would have understood him. But now he goes back to his own home where everybody speaks B. And you can imagine if, if you were in Jerusalem, you were given the ability to speak tongues, but then as you're walking home, you lose it. What would you think? I lost the spirit. And so I think once you're giving the gift of the speaking in tongues, you have that gift. Now you come back into your own people. Here you are, everybody speaks B, and now you're speaking in tongues and language A. What do you need? Right. And you need an interpreter. You need actually a gift of interpretation. They could have said, hey, let's just send over here and get somebody who speaks language A and comes back to us. Why not just do that? But the problem is, well, it's, it's not a problem if all speaking in tongues is, is just a human language. Christian, you, can, you translate all the time. You're going to do some translating of my sermon in Lacey's wedding. Maybe. Will you do it perfectly? Have you ever translated something perfectly? No. So if this speaking in tongues is truly the word of God, then you need another gift from the Spirit in order to make it beneficial to the people in this, in this region so that it will be understood. This is where God gives, I believe, a secondary gift, the gift of interpretation. Again, the whole purpose is to know truth. When you start saying that you can speak gibberish that you do not understand and somehow that will build you up, it is contrary to the entirety of what I understand in the Bible. It is not just an argument of, oh, the canon's closed and therefore it must not exist. It is like going against everything I know. Now, do I believe in exceptional situations where, like, Ginny doesn't, her mind can't understand truth like we do that God can communicate to her? Of course I do. But is that the way God wants us to direct our lives? We are to renew our minds by the Word of God. We are to understand the Word of Scripture and to have the Spirit impress it upon our hearts so that we understand it and we can live by faith in that Word of God. That's what we're going to do. Not just have gibberish that we do not understand. So if that is happening, do I have to guarantee that this is not of the Spirit? I don't have to make that judgment. I can just say it does, it's contrary to everything I know about the Bible. Of course. And, and as a sign to Israel that God was taking the gospel away from them. I mean, just think about this. Jesus has his disciples, and he's basically telling them, you are going to be the new uh, government of the church. Until that time, the Pharisees and the, and the, the uh, Sanhedrin, they were still the ruling body of God's people, as corrupt as they were. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're, I'm going to give the keys of the kingdom to you. I'm taking it away from them 
and giving it to you. And part of the reason for tongues is to show that that's very, that very thing is happening. The other purpose of tongues is to show that this church over here and the working of the Spirit here is the same thing that happened here. They're not two different things. We're going to see in the sermon today that the Spirit is going to be called the seven spirits. And the reason why that's going to be is because he, the same Spirit that uh, indwells Faith Presbyterian Church is the Spirit that it indwells the church over in Africa. They're not two different spirits. There's one Spirit that indwells the entirety of the church. Um. <clears throat> Well, no, it's not. Because, no, because this is this is something that it was a gift that was immediate. You didn't learn it. You didn't study the language, um, and and it was it was a sign to to Israel and a sign to the church that there's one church. I don't even think that 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 purpose exists today. So, like when I tell you that there's only one church and Jesus is Lord over the whole church, none of you go really. There's not two churches, not one for the Jews and one for the Christians, you just go, oh yeah, of course. Because we've already learned the lesson of this. <laughs> yeah. What's that? more complicated than it was in Jerusalem at Pentecost? That's what I just said, that, that now you've got a new context this person has been given the gift. He's speaking in language A. He comes into a new context, and God does not want that gift to only bless the individual. He wants it to bless the whole church, and so he gives the gift of interpretation as well. I don't know. Just to that one person, and don't worry about it. Well, see, yeah, that, I th oh, that's that's good. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Mark. I haven't mentioned, but I was uh, I was Pentecostal for 13 years. Went to a Pentecostal Bible College, and loved seeing a lot of tongues. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to also try and differentiate between Pentecostals and Charismatics. Mm -hmm. Speaking now as a Charismatic, but growing up in a Assembly God be more at, at that time more Pentecostal mm -hmm. they were much more word oriented mm -hmm. uh, a matter of fact I'd seen a tongue be given and then uh, a pastor waiting on an interpretation I've seen two people give a tongue and the second one rebuked saying you're out of order sit down mm -hmm. so there was there was that sense in order understanding it was for the edification of the church but in those 13 years every tongue that I ever heard even some that I thought were coming from me sounded the same didn't sound like different languages except for one tongue and that, and that was that sounded like a language everything else was gibberish it mm. sounded exactly like everybody else mm. so i began to wrestle with all that going back mm. thank you mark <clears throat> let's just walk through this uh so i can get at least through verse 12 in my notes um paul says in verse 6 if I came to you speaking in tongues, how will it benefit you? 
unless I'm bringing you a revelation, a knowledge, a prophecy, or teaching. I have to bring you something that would be considered the Word of God that you could receive. And then he goes into this illustration, even in the, the world of instrumentation, like flutes or harps, they have to give distinct notes. You can't just be gibberish. It has to actually have order to it and meaning. Uh, the bugle, if you don't have a clear, distinct sound out of the bugle, bugle nobody's going to rise up the charge. They're not going to know what to do. Um, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. None is without meaning. So again, he actually makes a distinction between the language and the meaning. And we should do that too, right? You can have the Bible, the truth of God's word, the meaning of his word in any language. So the words are just the vehicle of the meaning itself, correct? Um, and so he's saying you can have meaning. This is why I think that even the person who's speaking in tongues... He can understand the meaning of what he's trying to communicate without knowing the language that he's speaking. Right? If I wanted to tell you, we used to tell the four spiritual laws when we were on staff at the crusade. I had the four spiritual laws memorized at one time. Um, I could be talking to someone in another language, uh, trying to communicate the, the content of the four spiritual laws in their language. That would be the gift of tongues. It's not unreasonable to say that the person could understand what he's trying to communicate without knowing the, the actual language that he's speaking. <clears throat> um, again, verse 12, Paul makes it very clear that our goal is to build up the entire church. It's not for personal edification. And when I think that God actually gives a secondary gift of interpretation, that tells me how critical it is to God that you build up the whole church and not just an individual. Well, you just, all I would say is you will find, find for me in the book of Acts where there's the gift of interpretation. It's not in, it's not in the uh, Pentecost. But obviously here in Corinth, it's here. So there's not a, there's not a, a uh, statement, now God is giving the gift of interpretation. But I'm telling you, nobody asked that question. I've talked to a lot of people, they're like, What? Of course it was given at Pentecost. It's not given at Pentecost. There was no need for it to be given at Pentecost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know. That's a whole other thing. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. Kind of a universal communicator like in Star Trek. <laughs> um, um, all right we're going to stop here because it's time but 
We'll talk more, we'll pick it up in verse 13 next time, and we'll, uh, we'll walk through the rest of this passage um, and try to, hopefully by the end of chapter 14, uh, we will have uh, answered the questions that you have, or maybe not answered them to your satisfaction, and that, obviously, the church, much of the church would disagree with a lot of what I'm saying today. Um, I'm just telling you what makes sense to my heart. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for your kind word to us. Thank you for giving us minds to understand. And thank you for your Holy Spirit, because without your Spirit, um, we would not care to know the truth, and we would certainly not be able to grasp it. And we just thank you for the illumination of the Spirit that works in our heart every time we go to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.